This morning we're titling this message, Handling the Gift. Handling the Gift. And uh, let's pause, quiet our hearts, and present ourselves before the Lord. And I want to encourage you, I think some of you, uh, especially those who are in school right now, you just carry a lot of stuff throughout the week, don't you? And I think whether you're in school or you, you are in uh, the, your full-time occupational field, you, we just have a way of uh, attracting the lint of our lives, and it just sticks to us and clings on, and this is a very vivid image, but I'm going to stick with it. And we can just be so, uh, so fogged up when we come into these spaces, but I want to take the time that we always do and just settle our hearts for a second. So if you could, just close your eyes, and if that's you and you feel like just stuff has piled up and your soul is cluttered, and you need some clarity and some uh, open space, I want to remind us that we serve and follow the Good Shepherd who characterizes himself as the one who makes us lay down in green pastures and the one who leads us beside still waters and who restores our souls. So in the silence and in the quiet and in the reflection, O oh God, we pray that you would calm and you would quiet our souls. Let's be still for a moment. Let there be reorientation this morning, Father. Let there be renewed hunger stoked this morning. Let our appetite for you and our appetite for your scriptures come alive and reawaken once again. And we pray the prayer of Psalm 90 that says, Would you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love? that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Would you satisfy us this morning? And as we look at your scripture and as, as, and as we study them together, we ask that you would teach us and instruct us according to the way that you desire. And may this time be sweet and pleasing to you. May this be a sweet space for your spirit to move and dwell and speak among us. We pray these things in the name of the glorious God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Over the summer, I bought my almost three-year-old a Nerf gun. And not just a Nerf gun, but two Nerf guns. Uh, we're tiny home in it right now, and I felt like he needed an outlet, and so I got him a couple Nerf guns. And the thing about Nerf guns are they are a great gift until they're not. Uh, they are wonderful until they're abused. Uh, the first couple weeks, we were having fun, and it was lighthearted, and we were shooting each other with Nerf guns. It was great, and he was getting this pent-up energy out. But then things started to happen to where I'd just be sitting on the couch reading or talking to JC, and he'd come up, freeze, stop. Like, not even a warning, just in the forehead. Like, oh, Rash, come on, man. Or he'd walk up to Ezra, who's now nine months. Freeze, Ezra. Like smack dab in the cheek. Like, what are you doing, man? 
And the once good gift that I thought would be such a blessing to him and I thought would be great for him uh, really took on a dark side, and he misused and abused the good gift that I had given him. Well, I would argue such is the case of vocation. Vocation is a gift from God. Vocation is something that God so lovingly and generously offers to us. Uh, I mean, think about it for a second. Vocation, a, 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 a job or an, an area or line of work that we can give ourselves to and find enjoyment and find delight in, and yet uh, at the same time be able to glorify God through it. How wonderful and beautiful is that? I would argue that vocation is grace and gift, but can become something that enslaves us and draws our heart away from the Father and his kingdom purposes. Uh, Vocation is this thing that the Lord gives us that is beautiful and that is wonderful and that plays an integral part in our lives. And actually, it plays a central role in our ministry. As we looked last week, uh, we are being reconciled and are reconciled to God, and yet we are engaging the sphere of our world, our friend groups, the people in which we do life with, with the ministry of reconciliation. And vocation plays a central role in that transcendent vocation. Uh, vocation is this job that, or this line of work that we feel we are hardwired, put on this earth to do. And with the issue of vocation, I think there's a lot of interpretive space here because I would wager that some of us in this room believe vocation to be um, a lot more... Uh, black and white than others. We believe that vocation is that which God um, designs and plans for us before we're even born. He orders our steps before we even come into into existence. And really, our lives are uh, the growing discernment of this one vocational path that God's called us to. Okay, some of us believe that. And there's some some, uh, other groups that would believe that vocation is a lot more decision-based, that they're out of the fatherhood of God, there is choice. There is some room, uh, maybe for not just one, but two, three, four, maybe five different lines of work, and all can glorify God. Uh, And I'm not necessarily taking one stance or the other, but I think it's helpful just to see the interpretive space that there is in this issue. That scripture, you really could go either way with this issue of vocation, but regardless, we all can agree and attest to the reality that just like the Nerf gun, it is a gift. And yet, at the same time, if we're not careful, the gift can be abused. The gift can be mishandled. The gift can be turned and twisted and deformed into something that it wasn't intended to be. And to that, I want to kick it to the tables, and I want you guys to discuss this question together. How specifically can the gift of vocation become something that draws our hearts and attention away from the king and his kingdom. We're going to get into this in just a couple minutes, but I want us to nuance it first to really prime the pump with this issue. So go ahead, process this together for the next five, ten minutes, and then we'll pick it up. God bless you as you discuss. All right, YAs. <clears throat> you know, I think with this question, we talked about it at our tables. Um, Any time we use vocation as a way to build our own kingdom, 
and not advance the kingdom of God, then we're dealing with a mishandling. Uh, and we're actually setting up a rebel and a rival kingdom, even through this pure gift that God gives us. And so I think uh, we're going to walk through three great mishandlings of the gift of vocation that I think probably came up at your table. But I want to I put some language to, I think, some of the struggles that we as young adults face with this uh, issue of vocation and, and what are some very real ways that we uh, unintentionally even and maybe even pure-heartedly twist this good gift that God gives us and turn it into something, again, unintentionally often, uh, that it was never created to be. And the first one, first great mishandling, I, th- I think, is this, that uh, we treat it in a certain way, and vocation eventually becomes a great idol of our soul. Uh, I think that uh, so often we can focus on the question, God, what am I called to do? Or what am I supposed to do? God, what was I put on this earth to do? And depending on who you are, there may be a couple salty adjectives sprinkled in there. Uh, a couple words that may emphasize that point, but God, what am I supposed to do with my life? Especially in college, we wrestle with this question, right? We're going to school and we're getting our degree and we're really figuring out uh, and constantly, I think, recontextualizing the path that we want to take to the vocation and occupation of our dreams. And preoccupation with it can turn into obsession, And obsession can turn in very quickly to idolatry, where we're so fixed on the clarity and the answer and the uh, trajectory to become clear. And what can start with a pure-hearted question of, God, what do you want me to do? Is there one vocation that you're calling me to, or are there several? And what's wisdom say? These pure-hearted questions we can ask can so quickly turn into a preoccupation with, and then an obsession with, and then we find a great idol has set itself up in our souls, and we've allowed it to be so. Proverbs 4.23, a very common and well-known passage of scripture says, guard your heart for from it everything flows. All of us know that. And imagine if there is the idol of vocation and success set up in our souls, then what is going to flow from it? Ferocious ambition, right? Cutthroat competition for the sake of climbing the ladder, self-centeredness, Uh, aggressively pursuing that which we feel like is in our heart and very, very much independently clinging to the specifics of our lives. But if we allow, seated in the throne of our hearts, there to be the king and the kingdom, then what's going to flow from that? Sacrificial living, selflessness, Love, humility, grace. You see what I'm saying? If the idol of vocation is set up in our souls, then very quickly vocation can become backwards and actually become insidious and turn on us and become that which is self-destructive. But if we step back and recognize that the very intention of vocation is to be gift and is to, one, for the Father to lavish Uh, a measure of love on us through the giving of vocation, but also that it's a means to, for us to advance the kingdom, then we're oriented into what vocation ought to be and what it was intended to be. Are you with me this morning? Number two, I think that we can twist vocation into, uh, and and really we allow it to become uh, a badge of spirituality. 
I think we see this manifest when we're in conversations with one another. Uh, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And the ones that are like, oh man, I feel like God is calling me to this, dot, dot, dot. Wow, that guy's got it all together. You ever felt this way? Wow, badge of spirituality. Okay, Captain, you're, you're obviously arrived in the spiritual journey. Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm called to full-time ministry. Oh, badge. Well, I feel called to the business world. Sticker. <laughs> Sorry, man. But we treat it this way, don't we? As voc- vocation is some sort of badge of spiritual merit, that the, the clarity that we feel that we have in the vocational trajectory of our lives somehow speaks to how mature we are in Christ. And that's just not the case. Because very often, the good shepherd of our souls, yes, makes us lay down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters, but there also is the valley of the shadow of death that we inevitably pilgrim. And it is the valley of obscurity, and it's the valley of confusion, and it's the valley of disorientation, and yet all the while the good shepherd is leading us through it. And so I think to treat vocation as a badge of spirituality once again is missing what it's supposed to be, and it's just a pure gift that is a means to the kingdom, to the end of the kingdom, and not a means for us to come off somehow as spiritually superior, Uh, in some way, shape, or form, a badge of spirituality. Um, I think that a third one is that vocation becomes the cradle and source of our identity. Uh, I think so often in the culture in which we live, we're surrounded, uh, there is such this emphasis to find fulfillment in what we do, and to define ourselves in what we do. Once again, full-time ministry, business. Oh, we even see this in the church world, uh, where there's so much emphasis on if you do this, and if you give yourself to this line of work, and if you find satisfaction through it, then you can really find the inner you. And in this quest for individualism, and in this quest for finding the authentic self that post-modernity is so known for, and the society in which we live so emphasizes, we can get so caught up in finding our identity and our purpose and our value and our belovedness in what we do. And once again, this is in a, a, a deformity of what the gift of vocation ought to be. This is a marring and a scarring of the pure gift because the pure gift was given not to identify us. God didn't say, hey, you're called to the business sector and that means that you are less than this guy who's called to be a senior pastor at a church. Hey, you're called to, you know, counsel and that's great and that's awesome, but that's not really as important as being a nursing major and actually like helping people, you know, like you're helping people physically and being in hospitals. That's the big deal. It's garbage. Anytime we fasten our identity onto a specific vocation, we are missing it because it's not the way it's intended to be. And I've seen this one in particular manifest in my life where when I was younger, uh, I would be asked the perennial question, what do you want to do with your life? How many of you are being asked that currently? Your, your mom, your dad, your friends, whoever, you're being asked, so what do you want to do? That's cute. Great, the degree you're getting, that's cute. But what do you want to do with your life? You're just like, shut up. I want to like punch you in the face. That's what I want to do with my life. And I remember when I was younger, you know, in my early 20s, 
Um, I, I remember this question causing so much angst and actually causing so much pain because I would inevitably have to say those four words, I do not know. And when I said that, I, I distinctly remember feeling palpable feelings of embarrassment and feeling palpable feelings of shame and feeling palpable feelings of uh, confusion and disorientation because it feels like this person who's my age has such a clarity on how they're going to spend their life. And me, I thought I was really mature in the Christian life and I thought I was growing and I thought in some ways God was speaking to me and yet I don't have this area of my life together. And it caused so much friction and frustration and angst and pain. And that is a sure sign that identity is fastened onto this issue of vocation. And that there's a violent misplacement that's happening here. Because if at any time we who don't know what the heck our lives are going to look like in 10 to 20 years, and that's okay, by the way, disclaimer. Anytime we feel embarrassment by saying, yeah, I don't know. Anytime we feel embarrassment by saying, yeah, I'm working in insurance right now and I, I don't know what's next. Anytime we feel embarrassment about saying, yeah, I got $40,000 of student loans uh, and I'm going on to be a business major and I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with that degree, and we feel shame and we feel embarrassment, that is a sure sign that there's a misplacement, that there is maybe an idol, that there is uh, some identity that's being fastened on to this once pure gift that was vocation. Am I getting too real here? Because this is my journey that I've walked through and I remember so well and still do these feelings of angst. What am I going to do with my life? And the idol and the badge and the identity that can so come with it. Uh, You know, and I would argue to this, that the value and belovedness, guys, uh, that Christ has bestowed on us is utterly and profoundly disassociated from anything we can do for him. I mean, it is otherworldly. It's not even in the same sentence. Like Christ has so lavishly poured love on us. First off and supremely by giving his own life and laying his life down as a ransom for many. He has so lavishly poured out love and in that bestowed value and identity that is categorically separate and different than what we do vocationally with our lives. And I think the great lie of the enemy and the clamorer of our souls is that our identity is wrapped up and entrenched with vocation. And that's the voice of the slave driver. That's the voice of the slave driver in Egypt that says, more brick, less straw, work, 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 do it, do it, do it, perform, perform, and then you'll get acceptance. But the tender voice of Yahweh says, you can rest. There is permission to not have it figured out. There's permission to struggle. There's permission to ask questions. There's permission uh, to walk through this process that is discovering vocational clarity. And guess what? In the process, you are still loved and accepted and valued. This is the voice of the good shepherd. This is the voice of Yahweh. Anything else is the voice of the Egyptian slave driver cracking the whip, telling us to produce so that we may find affection for our souls when it's already greatly and extremely lavished upon us. So to this, I want to really nuance this at our tables uh, with the second and final discussion question of the morning, and it's this. 
How have you tended to mishandle the gift of vocation in your life in the past? What are some ways that you've twisted it? What are some ways you've conformed it to your own kingdom and your own agenda? And uh, get real, get vulnerable, and hopefully this will spark some deep conversation amongst us. So, ready? God bless you as you discuss. All right, you can go ahead and wrap those discussions up. You know, too much emphasis on the thing that is vocation really sets us up for failure, doesn't it? Uh, we, we succumb to the lie of arrivalism, if I can call it that. Uh, the, the Manitou false summit, if you will, the incline. <laughs> for those of you who haven't been on the incline, I didn't just say that, okay? There's no false summit. There's no false summit. But the false summit, for those of us who have done the Manitou incline, we know that you think you're at the top. Oh, that's it. That, that job. That, and then you go, 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 go. And then you get up and you take that step and you look up and you just collapse in defeat because you realize that that summit that you've been looking towards was a false summit. Such is the case with vocation in our lives. The more we emphasize it, the more we build it up to be a summit that once I get there, then... Once I land that job, then. Once I get married, then. And it's a false summit. And we project our deepest desires through this lens of arrivalism. And that's not a word. Arrivalism, hence the quotes. Sorry. Um, Joey, friends, never mind. And uh, we, we can still project the deepest longings of our heart. And they're just false summits and false fathers that do not satisfy the way that our Abba satisfies. So what's the remedy? Um, Well, I think the great antidote of our mishandling of this thing of vocation is an orientation into the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven. What's the next line? Hallowed be my name. Josh's name. David Leal's name. Hallowed be... No. Blasphemy. Heretic. Hallowed be your name, Father. Let your name be supremely honored and glorified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In orientation into the reality that there is a kingdom with a capital K that transcends and takes priority and precedence over our kingdoms. That the vocation that we can uh, build and craft, maybe for ourselves, or maybe we feel that we step into it as, as a movement of God, this vocation, if we're not careful, can become an establishment of our own kingdom. And yet, when we really take the words of our Lord on our lips and allow it to permeate our very lives, your kingdom come, Father. Your will be done. If that means that I live in ambiguity and obscurity the rest of my life, if that means that I'm working eight to five behind a desk at a job that I absolutely hate, if that means that I leave this world unsatisfied with the vocation that I've spent my life doing, and your kingdom came and your will was done through it, then praise be to God. I have actually lived in the way that you've called me to live, to have relationship. And to live in such a way where the kingdom is coming through the works of our hands and through my hand, regardless of if I find satisfaction with the vocation that I'm in. I would say that our specific and unique vocation, at the end of the day, is a mere means to the end of the kingdom coming to 
and the will of God being done on earth. Again, the arrivalism that we so often fall prey to says that it's the end. Once we get there, then we'll be successful. Once we get there, then we'll be satisfied. Once we, be, we get there, then we can really put our stamp of approval and confidence in this life that we have made for ourselves. But if we begin to view vocation as actually not the end, but the means to the kingdom coming to and the will of God being done on earth, then it takes its purest shape and the shape that it was intended to be. Because even back in the garden at the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve vocation to rule and to have relationship. For their ruling, for their vocation, to be an expression of the dominion of God upon the earth. An expression that points to the nature of God to all all creation as ambassadors of God. Such is the case with our vocation today. It's his kingdom come and it's his will that's being done. And that has the final word, that our vocation and our pursuits and these aspirations that we have really are just a means to the end of God getting the glory. Uh, Because we, even our righteousness is filthy rags. We can't be God for ourselves. We can't make a name for ourselves and think that it's going to stand the test of time. But we actually are living in the kingdom and under the lordship of a king who we were created for. And the more that we allow our vocational ambitions and aspirations to align with this great reality, then we find an equilibrium for our souls. Because we don't find the idol invocation and we don't find the badge invocation and we don't find the identity that we so seek out after in our vocation but instead we find all of that in the arms of the father in the father's house and so if we come and return from the distant country of this desolation that we've made vocation out to be then we can come and we can find the true shape and form and substance of vocation and the way it ought to be and the way it was created to be for our lives amen Make it so, Lord Jesus, in our lives. Let us be the people who do not find um, supreme comfort or consolation or satisfaction in our vocation. And maybe even in the clarity and the process of vocation being discerned. But let us be the people of God who have our eyes fixed on Jesus and who are living as kingdom citizens allowing fully our vocation uh, to fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that you would have final say and that the vocational uh, ambitions of our lives would simply be the means to the end of cosmic glory to King Jesus and the exaltation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the way in which our God is put on full display for all creation to see and for you to be glorified through it. Make it so. We pray that as we go from here, uh, would you strip us of our uh, unhealthy ambitions, if there are any? God, would you realign and reorient our minds and hearts to you, and would you help us to live as faithful and as true kingdom citizens this week, that the fragrance of Christ may go forth, that people may come into the saving knowledge of God through the good works that we demonstrate, and the light that we put on display, and the salt that we preserve the earth with this week in our specific spheres of influence. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the young adult said, amen, amen.